What's happening, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Crash Bang Boom podcast. Today's guest is Jesse Schreibman of the Pacific Northwest-owned Bellwitch. Jesse and I get into everything from his crazy live setup to incorporating visuals into their live show, living the hermetic audio monk lifestyle, the many talents of his eccentric family, records, books, movies, hell, you name it. I even divulge which record I like to play to run my wife out the fucking house. U.S. tour dates start October 11th. It can be found at bellwitchdoom.net. Link in this here description as well. Today's episode is sponsored by oneuploops.com. Drummer, producer, and more, Carson Gant and his team spent an incredible amount of time recording over 430,000 shaker, tambourine, and hi-hat loops at every possible tempo and multiple feels with incredible mics and outboard gear for you to pick and choose. It's organized for you to find exactly what you need with just a few clicks and everything feels and sounds incredible. You can sign up for free to check it out and gain full access to all 430,000 loops starting at just $6 a month thereafter. No download limits, whatever you want, whenever you want. New loops, one shots, and drum breaks are being added weekly. Definitely a great addition to the arsenal of any drummer and or producer, and I can vouch for that myself. So check it out, and that's oneuploops.com. Crash Bang Boom podcast can be found on basically all streaming platforms as far as I know. Feel free to check out any of the previous 260-plus episodes and give me a like and or a subscription and or a positive review. And if you aren't already following me on Instagram or Facebook, that's Jody Smith, Crash Bang Boom on Insta, and Crash Bang Boom Podcast on Facebox. All righty then. Here we go. Jesse Schreibman, Crash Bang Boom. Crowds go mad with joy. All right, better late than never. I'm here with Jesse Schreibman of Bellwitch. Jesse, what's happening, man? How are you doing? I'm good, man. Just hanging out. Happy to be here. You just got back from Europe, but to my understanding, you were playing with not one but two bands. You got to hang out a little bit. Tell me about where you just got back from and what that whole experience was. Yeah, it started with Bellwitch's first tour um, over there in support of the new record. It was really awesome. We played a bunch of really cool festivals, um, some bigger ones, a lot of club dates in the middle, um, but they all went really, really well. It was probably one of our most successful tours we've done yet. And then right after that, one of my other bands called Autophagy did a tour right after. So Bellwitch's last show of our tour was Kill Time Death Fest. Autophagy's first show of our tour was Kill Time Death Fest and then um, in Copenhagen. And then I did another two and a half weeks with them um and then hung out for like 10 days and kind of cruised around just got home like five days ago so a little jet lagged what countries did you hit while you were over there just on your vacation time i was in portugal france spain and czech republic nice i've been to the uh france and the czech republic of those uh yeah france was was pretty cool i really liked prague and hanging out and it's just at the time there, I think it was in September of 2007. That's how uh, long ago that was. But uh, I just remember nice. it was cheap to drink there and the city was beautiful. And as far as hanging out in a European city, I thought Prague was an exceptional city. Prague's amazing. And we're actually stoked. It's funny, Bellwitch is sort of, our operations have now started to be based out of there. So we always fly in and out of Prague now um, when we're in Europe. Really? Because that's where the tour agency that we use uh, is based out of. So it's really cool. We always end up flying in and out of there now. And um, I actually store a fair amount of stuff there like that I can't fly back and forth with. Um, right. Specifically, some of the synthesizer 
pedals and things um, are stored over there. So yeah, basically that was where I flew out of. So I got to hang out for a day or two, um, which was really nice. Nice, man. Well, I believe uh, earlier this year, y'all put out the clandestine, clandestine gate, man. It's, I'm going to be tripping up on this between your name and the album titles. I'm just going to be fucking this up left and right. (laughs) Your most recent record, 85 minutes. Is it, is that about the duration of it? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. 83. Okay, I, I was two minutes off. Uh, I feel okay about that. It's longer, yeah. That's <laughs> it's long as fuck. Yeah, it's long as fuck, whatever it is. Who's counting? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that, the story around that record and how it's going to tie into subsequent releases and sort of the overarching theme and how they're connected and ultimately what that experience is in playing them as a listener. So, you know, I guess the Future Shadow, the Clandestine Gate, is the first release of a planned triptych okay um and basically the idea is each full album is one movement of a larger piece right. so once all three of these come out um there's no release date on that yet we still have to write some of them but we have basically a rough skeleton of the entire piece sort of uh laid out um the idea is that once all those three movements come out uh, they will form one large piece that can then form a loop and will be able to play be played continuously. Um, theoretically, the only way you'd actually be able to do that would be digitally. Yeah. Can you um, imagine how many times you'd have to turn over LPs, be like, holy shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There would be pl- plenty of turning involved in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's the plan. And I think that sort of stemmed from when we wrote Mirror Reaper and that came to fruition and then we toured on it really extensively and we're playing it in its entirety for a period of time. Um, so that was, you know, whatever, 83 minutes nonstop. It kind of got us thinking about sort of the limits of time and what were those limiting factors for us as a band and what was, how was that limiting the music? And really what it came down to was we were basing everything on uh, two LPs. Right. It's like, how much can we cram onto two LPs. Yeah. And so I think that the beginning of how, I guess, Future Shadow came about was just the idea of like, what if we weren't limited by those constraints? Sure. Like, where would this go? What was really interesting, at least from like a songwriting perspective or musician's perspective is that Mirror Reaper was the first thing Dylan and I ever wrote together. Mm -hmm. Everything else before that, when I was touring with the band, I was playing songs that the previous drummer had done. And so Mirror Reaper was our first stab at it. Yeah. And it came out as this really big thing as far as like length and and size. So I think that, you know, we just kind of, in, in a perspective of trying to just grow and progress, you know, we had kind of joked about like, well, what if we just do some short songs? You know, it was like, <laughs> we immediately <laughs> threw that out, you know? And I think that it just comes down to the fact that I think that we've added a lot of layers. Um, I've personally added a ton more instruments that I'm now doing while drumming and doing vocals. And so I think that it's just kind of opened the door to like really big gradual movements and, um, progressions that weren't possible before. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Since you joined the band, how is your live setup evolved uh, to where it is now? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> when I first joined the band, um, which was 2015, I was touring in support of 
Four Phantoms, which was a record that I, I did not record on. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, I was just doing drums and vocals. Then when we started writing Mirror Reaper, I wanted to add something to the mix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he and I kind of decided on organ. We're like, that's, you know, very funeral. Totally. It's, it's, it's happened in the metal realm a bit. Let's do it a little differently. And so that kind of started what has now become an absolute K-hole in my brain and just like this never-ending ruminating of how to play things while drumming. Right. And so basically, we recorded on a real... I I recorded on a B3 in the studio. Yeah. And then immediately was like, how am I going to do this live? Yeah. And uh, when I started talking to like all my friends that were synthesizer people and piano people, whatever drum people as well everyone was basically just telling me that i should use backing tracks or uh some sort of sample pad Mm -hmm. and um i can relate to technical difficulties i fucking hate computers right i don't like how they look on stage i don't like using them in general and specifically uh i hate troubleshooting them and so i because i suck at them and so that started this different route that I ended up really doubling down on now of, of essentially no sample pads, no computers, um, and essentially no triggers outside of what I'm using now, which are uh, Roland PK-5s, mm-hmm. which Getty Lee used to use. Yeah. Uh, but they're basically just like a pretty old school, you know, whatever, nine pin, five pin uh, MIDI controller. Uh-huh. And so I use those and I use old school MIDI devices basically to do everything I'm doing now. So yeah, it started with organ. Um, it took me a while to nail down exactly what module sounded the best. Yeah. Finally found, I found like what I believe is like the Holy grail of, uh, Hammond B3 sort of emulation. That's impressive. Cause I've, t- I t- actually toured with the band. We did a, a tour in Colorado. So we're up in the mountains. I'm from like Southern Louisiana. So just like the, the, the elevation I was struggling with and we were carrying around loading out a, a, a whole B3 with the like worlds or <laughs> worlds or cab. And I was just like, I, yeah. I was thinking as you were telling me this, I was like, there's no fucking way he's loading around a B3 and a, and a cat. There's, no. it's, it, those things are just, it's like carrying around iron and lead. It, they're really, really cumbersome, really heavy. And like, oh man, yeah, problematic. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So I ended up buying one of the uh, modules, but uh, uh, it's basically a uh, Roland VK8M is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And they didn't make very many of them. But uh, the VK8 is a a keyboard with the actual draw bars oh, nice. on it, like a real like a real B3 would have. And then the VK8M is a module version, so it's a desktop module. Wow! And I found one on Craigslist out of nowhere. They're really hard to find, and it happened to be local. And when I bought it off the guy, it was actually an old keyboard player from Tower of Power. Oh wow! Amazing. I've met him at a at a middle school where he was a music teacher. And he was super stoked that somebody wanted to use it. <laughs> he was astonished that it was in a metal band. And that was kind of what I, where I got it, which was really kind of awesome. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Damn. So I guess, so I'm assuming there's even more because there's pedals and everything else. Yeah. So it started out with one Roland PK-5, which is the foot pedal mm-hmm. that I use. And I had it set up sort of uh, to the left of my hi-hat stand. Right. 
and then one organ module. And that's basically what I used throughout the entirety of uh, all the Mirror Reaper touring. Wow. And once I, I guess, like got a grip on that with basically playing the sort of keyboard parts, drumming and doing vocals at the same time, I was like, I could do more. And that's when I started experimenting with adding a second PK-5 which then completely had to change the way I set up my drums. Mm-hmm. Um, so now what I'm doing is I use a rack system to free float my hi-hat, snare, and floor tom. Wow. So, so basically there's no legs. And then underneath, I have two PK-5 pedals, which allows me to do a high octave and a low octave. Damn. And then also switch those octaves. So it all of a sudden created a lead in rhythm aspect to what I was able to do. Um, I then sort of progressively without this taking forever, (laughs) just started adding uh, synthesizers and splitting the MIDI signals so I could control multiple instruments with each foot. There you go. So now where we've, where we've ended up. Yeah. And this is over the period of about six years. I have my left foot controls a low organ uh, sub bass synth and then another synthesizer that I can do a number of different instruments with right at a low octave and then my right foot does high octave organ uh, mellotron and then uh, another uh, synthesizer as well with a number of pedal chains connected I'm and then using expression pedals I'm able to remove and add high synths, low synths, and uh, organs at any given time. And then the last sort of what the fuck do I do situation (laughs) was um, if I'm using both my feet for organ or synthesizers, uh, I can't hit the kick drum. Correct. That's where I was about to ask you, yeah. (laughs) Because I made a rule a long time ago of no sample pads. I use uh, this like pancake gong drum nice. is what it's called. Yeah. Um, just uh, basically on my right side. Um, so that's my, my kick drum replacement. And our lovely sound engineer, uh, who at this point is almost always uh, Salvador Raya, has mastered just making that thing sound really, really badass. Awesome. And ironically, so- it sometimes sounds better than my kick drum, right. which is problematic. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. It's a shit show. Wow. But it's awesome. It's really fun. Damn, man. I was about, that was, so you just answered a couple of my questions. One, I was going to ask you what your right foot did, but also do you have a go-to uh, sound engineer that to, to deal with this? Cause I'm imagine I've, I've worked AV work and in TV production stuff and, you know, cables and I've got drums and recording setups and everything, but that sounds like it would be uh, confusing to say the least to just like walk in and be trying to make sense of all that potentially. Yeah, for sure. I- and then at this point too, the newest sort of change in this setup and it actually just happened this year. So I've only done one full tour with it, but I now, I now actually bring my own uh, DI rack. Okay. It's really badass, but I send each organ or synthesizer individually out to the board. So, so the sound engineer has the ability to then spread those oh, signals yeah. anywhere they want. Correct. And so we actually played... I don't know if it's the first time or only time it's actually been available to us, but we played this uh, movie theater in Bologna, Italy, uh-huh. like last month um, that had rear speakers. And so it's like surround sound. 
surround sound because it was a movie theater. Right. So, so we had our visuals playing. We were on stage in front of the visuals, but then our sound engineer, Sal, was able to bring certain synthesizers in from behind uh-huh. in, in, the, in the crowd, which uh, I think he was having a really good time with. And to me, it's just like a dream come true. Yeah. Because I think like at the end of the day, I think what I'm trying to do or where a lot of this came from was just me as a very young kid kind of being obsessed with Pink Floyd, like in elementary school yeah. and middle school. And just like, I always loved the 360, like in headphones, um, just vibe. Totally. And so to me, this is about as close as I'm ever going to get to that, I think. Right. So um, I always kind of have that in mind of like, how could this kind of creep in or come around? And I think it's been really fun adding to the setup now to this point where there really is enough that I'm sending out that it can be spread around. That's um, awesome. Which is very cool. Yeah. Nice, man. So you mentioned uh, the, like playing live with visuals, and uh, I've seen some footage of that. It, the, the, the visuals really kind of tie the whole thematic, soundscape, atmospheric heaviness that y'all play. Uh, where did those visuals come from? Because they really are super cool for, for what y'all do. Yeah, yeah. Our buddy, guy Bobby Cochran, uh, made them. We basically gave him sort of very rough, not even guidelines, just sort of ideas to work off of in terms of themes and, you know, things like we wanted black and white. We, we were pretty clear about wanting like sort of androgynous figures, no nudity, just sort of very like vague, big images. And then he just went for it um, and it came out amazing. So like when we played Roadburn, when we played the album in its entirety, he flew out and actually did the visuals live with us. Whoa. Uh, so it syncs up. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And then he's coming with us actually on this next tour we're doing uh, in the States um, and doing the same thing. So it's, it's really cool. It, it, it definitely adds to the show and we're, we're excited about it. Um, you know, cause we've always been trying to figure out ways to kind of keep elevating the set and, and especially from an audience perspective, like keep it engaging. Yeah. Uh, because it is slow, you know, right. and um, I think that we've never been, we're not big fans of like super intense light shows and it doesn't necessarily suit our music. I would agree. We also need to be able to see each other and yeah. see what we're doing. And so like when there's too much movement happening with lights, it, it makes it really hard to play sometimes. So I'm excited that we're going this visual route. I think yeah. that's the plan is just to kind of keep uh, building and growing on that as well. Cause it, uh, it really does add to it. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it looks cool. I don't know. Absolutely. It. it absolutely does. I mean, that brings up an interesting question in that if you're playing these really long single pieces of, of, of music, I'm assuming it's not, not every part is exactly how you recorded it lengthwise. So you would have to kind of have someone manually, it, with a knowledge of the music and the the, the visual uh, movements with it to adjust that accordingly while you're playing it live. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's there's never been any clicks used. Right. Um, there's no there's no backing tracks at all. There's nothing except for basically just what we're doing live. So um, sound person, visual person, you know, everyone's sort of like. Uh, member of the band <laughs> playing along which i think is really cool and 
there's like an ebb and flow. And I think that um, we're not there yet on this set because we haven't played it enough. But on the Mirror Reaper set, it was really interesting. We basically were playing almost the exact same set length throughout the whole tour, but it would alternate between two lengths. There was like a slow one and a fast one. Interesting. And it 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 changed by like, I think it was by like three minutes. Wild. And there was there was something that we were doing and we've never figured out what it was, but there were like, there was something we were consistently doing depending on the night that would change in an almost exactly three minute amount of time. Bizarre. <laughs> Which is so bizarre, especially like as a drummer. I'm like, where am I losing minutes? You know, like, but it might, it's just in, it, it, it's in the lags. Correct. And I think that, yeah. So it's, um, it's an interesting band to play in, I guess, you know, when it comes to like timing and, and stuff like that. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, it's minimal in a lot of senses, uh, both in the parts, the drum parts that you do play and then the absence of drum parts. So it's uh, definitely by no means a traditional route. I would imagine I would struggle with it as someone with you know, general ADD and like always kind of wanting to play faster music. Uh, but I actually thought about y'all, uh, I was talking to the drummer of I hate God and he made, he made a joke that in the, in the spaces of their notes, he could take naps because it's so slow. And I remember thinking, well, fucking Bellwitch, they must be, they could go in a coma like state (laughs) because, uh, you're definitely taking more than a nap. Yeah. You're, it's a coma 24, 48 hour coma, three day coma. (laughs) It's out there. I definitely look at it more as percussion than I do as drums. You could see that. I remember one of the funniest, when we were on tour with Neurosis, we were like sound checking or something. And after we were done, uh, Steve on Till came up to me and was like, so do you get paid per snare hit or something? <laughs> and and I thought that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And I never really thought about it like that. But, uh, that is hilarious. There's really not that many snare hits compared to some bands. Right. <laughs> There's actually sections, and, and I, I, some of it comes... Are you familiar with the band Skepticism? I don't think so. Uh, it's like one of the original Funeral Doom bands. Okay. But they like basically don't even use a snare drum. It's almost all toms and cymbals. Oh, weird. And so there's there's like sections of Bellwitch songs where it's kind of like an ode to that. Okay. Where I'll purposely like not hit the snare. Uh-huh. Like the snare will be an accent with a symbol sometimes. Yep. That conundrum that you bring up is like, you know, I'm a drummer who only played in fast bands, except for this band. (laughs) Wow. And so I think that that is where me adding all of this other stuff came from. Yeah. You know, I was like, I'm not going to be adding drums. So (laughs) I'm going to add all these other layers because I totally have ADD. Yeah. And I'm hitting things when I'm talking with my hand. Yeah. So it's like... Oh my God. Here's a question for you. Uh, where are you located, man? It looks like you've got, you, if I had to guess, I, it looks like a loft is over your left shoulder. Like you're living in a cabin, which kind of confirms the mystique that I feel, I feel you like y'all all live in like some wet, like Northwest <laughs> coast fucking mystical goddamn woods somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, sort of. I live in, uh, I, <laughs> I live in Tacoma, Washington. Nice. Uh, and I am in a cabin like setting. Okay. Um, it's not as mysterious as it could be. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I recently went through some big life changes, had to sell a house. So now I'm living in my buddy's uh, sort of like outbuilding. Okay. It's really cool uh, because basically I just recently sold pretty much everything. 
except for my records, my books and my instruments. Okay. And I'm on tour all the time. So I'm living in this like sort of secluded little cabin thing. Um, and uh, it's cheap. And I'm using my phone as a hotspot currently uh, for this call. Okay. And, you know, that's the vibe. So yeah, basically, it's definitely conducive to like reading and listening to music or writing music or all of those things. Kind of nice. That's awesome, dude. You become a monk of sorts, <laughs> a cabin monk. I just bought a gong. <laughs> you got a gong too? Well, shit. You're checking off the monk boxes now, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. Oh my God. Um, the music, it sounds like the music that you played prior to Bell Witch was of the more aggressive kind. Like how did, how did, I'm assuming a nice Jewish boy like yourself uh, f- find all this dark music and are your parents upset with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> my parents have always actually been pretty supportive of, of the arts, which I think we're, I'm very, lu- I'm lucky for that. Okay. They both uh, are musicians in their own right. Uh, my mom is a dancer. She plays piano. My dad was a uh, professional mime. For real? And plays the tr- for real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one. It's officially weirder maybe than being in a funeral doom band. You know, I would say sure. that it is. Yeah, from his perspective. Yeah. And then he plays trumpet. And then uh, my brother's actually a professional break dancer. What? Yeah, we're all kind of weirdos. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, he, my brother's the most successful weirdo. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think that for me... It was like a funny long road. My dad actually does kind of tie into it. But when I was a kid, I had a babysitter who one of her favorite bands was the Specials. Okay. Ska band. Yeah. And so I was super young and she sort of showed me some old Ska bands, which led me to going to Ska shows. My dad would take me to him because he played trumpet and he was okay with it. He was like, this is cool there's trumpet. Yeah. And so like ska bands started playing, they were playing with punk bands. And I was like super young when this was all happening. Um, but I remember just going to some like early ska shows, like seeing punk bands, getting more into punk. And then as I got older and older, that sort of, um, I grew up in the Bay area. Okay. And so there was a, there was a lot of music around. Um, at that time, pop punk was big. Sure. Uh, Cause I'm 30, I'm 37. But, um, you know, even for example, I was always really lucky. Like the first voluntary show I ever went to that my dad did take me to was, um, the Tibetan freedom concert is what it was called in San Francisco. Yeah. With the beastie boys part of that Sonic youth beastie boys. You know, one of my favorite bands ever is the smashing pumpkins. Sure. And back then, especially when I was a kid. Uh, and so I went basically to see them and beastie boys and Sonic youth. Nice. But that was like this crazy hodgepodge of, of bands. And I remember also, um, you know, as a young kid, I went to like some early warp tours, like 97 through 2000 when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. Never a band that really like I clung to, but I did see Deftones when Adrenaline came out. And I remember that was like the first really heavy like bloody mosh pit I ever saw. Wow. It was terrifying. But what was funny about it is like they played and then I can't remember. It was like, I think Black Eyed Peas might've played that that Warp Tour. It was in Oakland. I know Eminem played that year. Right. And it was just like this weird mixture of just like shit happening. <laughs> um, but I was, really, I was really lucky to be around that. And I think that just as I got older and specifically when I moved out of town, I moved to Chico, California. 
for college and I joined a band called the Mackay, uh, which is how I met everyone that I know now. Okay. Um, including Dylan from Bellwitch. Gotcha. But th- those guys, they were older than me and they were the ones that really like sort of showed me, I guess, just like neurosis and his hero's gone and just like all the, all the crustier stuff, you know, um, dystopia and like, it kind of just changed my trajectory in a, in a way um, where I had been looking for it. Mm-hmm. But I think where I grew up, there wasn't as much of that. Like I was in the North Bay, mm-hmm. which was kind of sheltered from all the badass shit that was happening in the, in the Bay proper. Right. I've never been hyper-focused on any specific genre even. I think to this day, you know, I love heavy metal and I listen to heavy metal, but not as much as I used to. And it was never like, my sole focus. I think it was just, I've, I've always loved how drums are a really big focus of heavy music. Sure. And like, even down to like crust punk, it's like D beat is literally a beat on the drums. That is a genre defying, totally defining beat, you know? So it's like, I've always been interested how like everyone's like blast beats, D beats, you know, it's like they get stoked yep. and it's like, you know, <laughs> But I think really for me, Motorhead was kind of like where what like got me into that. Gotcha. And then I just kind of just ran with it. So Nice, man. Are you a film buff at all? To an extent, for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, I was wondering about it. I, I, I was When I was watching the video of y'all playing live with the projections and everything, I was like, I wonder if someone went to film school in this band. Did either of y'all go or no? No, no. But I think that like we both are definitely interested in it. Yeah. And I think from a super young age... Like, for example, in seventh grade, I used to skateboard to this video store. And in this one summer, I rented the entire cult section of the video store. Really? And the video guy was cool. And he would let me rent rated our movies because he was like curious why I was renting those movies. Okay. Like, I remember seeing Eraserhead um, and City of Lost Children. Oh, yeah. That were like really like when I was a kid. And I think just like David Lynch, and I can't even remember the City of Lost Children director. Uh, Jean-Pierre Genoux. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Those two guys, you know, as a kid, I was like really interested in that. And I was also super into like Toxic Avenger Mm -hmm. and all those dumb movies back then. Oh, Um, yeah, yes. Like the Swamp Thing was one of them that was around then as well as Toxic Avenger and like all those like B-horror movies from the 80s and like critters and tremors and all of that. I was always like at hell hellraiser. Right. But so Dylan and I, you know, there's obviously like, uh, like El Topo and Holy mountain. Yeah. You know, our other, other, other ones when I was probably in my early twenties that I became aware of. And so I think that like one thing I feel really lucky for, and Dylan and I've known each other for almost 20 years at this point, but, um, you know, he and I both share a, an aesthetic, interest i think mm-hmm. um when it comes to most art forms like i think that we agree on what we think is good and what we like um which makes things easier than other bands i've been in um i think he and i both are very partial to like specific directors and a specific look with film mm-hmm. and then even down to album artwork like he and i when we're discussing who we want to do a t-shirt design or or an album cover you know he and i both from the get-go were like oil painting surrealist like unknown blah 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 like our list was identical and then we'll sort of like 
disagree obviously fairly often on certain little things, but when it comes to like a large scope idea of artistic aesthetic, I think that he and I agree um, 90% of the time, which is rare. Yeah. And it makes the vision of where we want the band to go and what we want things to look like or sound like easier to kind of nail down. Absolutely. Uh, I, I suppose I did. I, I had some knowledge that y'all are from the Northwest Coast, but in, in listening to the music, there is, uh, again, I'm kind of reiterating or hammering on this mystique word, but certainly sort of kind of there's an ambience or mood that feels like the Northwest, especially coupled with the visuals that I've seen y'all use. Mm. Uh, is that is that intended? Does that naturally happen? Because that's the environment in which y'all live and it naturally just filters out through you or is it, is it conscious? I don't know. How does that go? I wouldn't say that we are consciously like hearkening towards the Pacific Northwest, yeah. you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, I grew up mostly in California and he, he's from Kansas. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but we've both lived here and I think that like, you know, things I'm assuming you're kind of referring to maybe the forest imagery and the trees and things like that yeah and also just some of like atmosphere some of the atmospheric movements sound almost like a sort of hazy fog-like thing and when i think about that if it's especially if it's kind of lush and or dark uh those are all aspects of environmentally of when i think about the pacific northwest you know i mean that's definitely the case i think you know it's like a lot of the writing that we do happens in the winter here because you can't really do much outside oh yeah and it gets dark pretty early so as far as the the mood of the music and just what where the, that influence comes from, you know, I think there's no question that if we were, you know, hanging out on the beach tanning all the time, that maybe it would <laughs> like we would be yeah. diff- we would be different people, you know. So I think that that's how I look at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We are the type of people that have ended up living in this region uh, voluntarily, right? Which which lends towards a specific maybe like mood or vibe. Totally. It's also just evolved you know, over time. And I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's definitely, it's maybe getting like longer and foggier and hazier as it's, as it's building, you know? So. Right, right, right. Uh, you mentioned having records. Uh, I too have a bunch. Uh, are, are there any particular records that you've been digging on and kind of just obsessing over as of late? That could be any, you know, genre, any band, anywhere, anytime. Man, I think that I've really been listening to, like more lately than not, uh, I've been really digging Grouper lately. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Um, uh-uh. But there's this uh, this album called Dream Loss. And I think it's Alien Observer. They're, they're really weird kind of like lo-fi uh, ambient sort of. It's really cool. It helps me go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I really dig things that help me go to sleep because I have a hard time sleeping. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of ebbs and flows, but one of my favorite albums of all time is uh, Ma Vishnu Orchestra, um, Intermounting Flame. Oh, yeah. Billy Cobham fucking destroys on that. Yeah. Billy Cobham's like, uh, he's kind of the guy that got me back into playing the, uh, drums at a point in my life. Awesome. And so I've been listening to that again, I'm trying to think. There's a, I, I, I can't, like, for the life of me, uh, pronounce his name, but I just became aware of it. Okay. Lubomir Le- Melnik. Okay. I only found out about it a couple weeks ago, but he basically just does this really long form. It's super busy. It, it like doesn't ever stop. It's like these cascading piano movements. Mm. But 
because it just never stops and it keeps it's got this like wave to it where it just becomes this weird soundscape oh bizarre it's very cool he's a ukrainian ukrainian dude damn yeah i guess those are a couple i'm also a really big fan of um i just stayed with him in spain but uh there's a band called sangre de mordago that's uh this like it's galician folk music this it's like spanish music that's really really cool uh, oh interesting okay <laughs> but yeah i don't know that's a few that i mean that runs the that runs the spectrum for sure <laughs> yeah yeah i've been kind of listening to that lately and then also <laughs> just trying to kind of get my head back in um like death metal land i've been playing death metal drums again for the first time in a long time so I'm, i am trying to like listen to that more than I have been. Gotcha. I mean, you have a kit set up out there at, at your place now? Yeah. I mean, most of the time I have a drum set, the Bellwitch setup, which is obviously like not a, a drum set drum set. It's got a lot going on. Mm -hmm. That's usually what's set up. But then, you know, um, I practice, I have two other kits. I practice in Portland fairly often with my other band. Okay. And then at a point in time, I was based up in Seattle too, where I had another kit set up. So it's kind of just like wherever. Do you have a kit in Europe as well? I mean, we rent over there. You have some synths in Europe because that could be a harder thing to specifically find. You don't want to necessarily fly with it. Yeah, currently. <laughs> well, no, I actually fly with all the synthesizers. Oh, you do? Yeah. So those are built into two giant pedal boards. Wow. That, I, that we travel with. Okay. And then I have, I store... Basically, the PK-5 pedals in Europe, the, the gong drum, a number of like weird parts and stuff. Uh, I have tubular bells that are integrated into my drum set also. Okay. So I have one of those over there because those are impossible to find, like the specific notes. Oh, yeah. In light of me never wanting to use trigger pads for samples, um, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get bell hits. I wanted be a bell. And so during the pandemic... I had a lot of time on my hands and was trying to find just internationally where I could buy individual bell notes. Cause I only need yeah. like one or two of them. I just need like our root, our root notes yeah. and a whole, a, a whole orchestral chime set is like 10 to 25 grand. Oh, I bet. So I found this guy out of nowhere um, in New Jersey that seemingly had used bell notes that he was down, down okay. the cell, but it was during the pandemic. So you couldn't fly anywhere. Ah. So two years later, I happened to be in New York with my friend, Bram, who's this an amazing jazz drummer actually. And um, I was like, Hey, can we go to New Jersey together and get these bells? And I ended up buying a couple bell notes off of this guy in a parking lot in New Jersey for 350 bucks. Wow. And yeah, which is sick. Uh, and so now I have a bell that lives in Europe and I have the bell that I have here that I tour with. Damn. Um, I use, and I, I built like a custom uh, bell rack system, I guess, out of galvanized iron plumbing mm -hmm. that, that goes into my rack and it's, it's cool. It's fun. <laughs> Damn, man. Hearing you talk about all this orchestral percussion, if you ever got into, by any chance, the uh, Frank Zappa record, One Size Fits All. I mean, he's got, especially the the Mothers era from yeah, the yeah, early yeah. 70s, there's so much insane percussion playing. Ruth Underwood doing all the melodic, symphonic, uh, orchestral percussion stuff, and then, you know, horns and everything else. It's just like absolute insanity. I mean, 
you want to talk about high functioning autism. Every time I listen to Zappa, I'm like, you can't tell me that guy wasn't high functioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zappa is like another level in that band. Yeah, yeah. I would, I, I'll revisit that one. Um, yeah. That's kind of my favorite. The one size fits all yeah, is kind yeah, yeah. of my favorite. Yeah, it's like 72. You know, he put out like three records, separate records, all different tracks like that year alone, pretty much one of the 62 records that he put out. You know, it's just totally. preposterous. But the early 70s stuff around like Live at the Fillmore East, One Size Fits All, Apostrophe, Overnight Sensation, and Live at the Roxy. Those are the five. That's but, awesome. Uh, yeah. I've always, yeah. I always joked. I was never a huge Zappa fan, but throughout my whole life i've always lived with huge zappa fans and interesting yeah and i think there's always like two types of people my wife hates frank zappa yeah she hates it when i put her on and then if if i really want to drive her out of the house i'll throw in some late <laughs> some mr bungle and she's just like get this circus maddening fucking blood bloody clown mouth shit out of the house she just fucking hates it I'm like, God, calm down. She even said one time, this isn't even music. I was like, easy. That's fucked up. Don't say that. That's sacrilegious. This is the most sacrilegious shit I've ever heard. <laughs> I always just have experienced it even more so through uh, like buddies of mine who are like diehard Zappa fans. And yeah. um, I think that that's primarily how I've listened to him. But you know what's funny is I bet I have that record because I have a friend of mine's. I've been, I'm storing his vinyl. And he has a shit ton of Zappa records. Oh, dude, if you find One Size Fits All, check it out. Yeah, I'm going to check nice. it out. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Fucking A. Well, uh, damn, dude, it was good talking to you. Good luck on the tour. Congrats on the record you put out earlier and all this connecting the dots on the subsequent ones to make this giant psychedelic puzzle, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, dude, uh, have a good one. We'll talk soon and, uh, you know, enjoy it. Yeah, cheers. You too, man. It's a pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in as always, and I hope you dug the combo. Definitely fun to catch up with Jesse and delve into his live setup and more. Be sure to catch Bellwitch on this upcoming run, and we'll catch you on the next one. Crash, bang, boom. <laughs>